Welcome to episode 101st of the Smart Enough to Better podcast. It's a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Greg Wall. And I'm Dan Beeston. And in this week in Smart Enough to Better, I'll be explaining why your grandmother stops you from screwing around. And I'm going to be talking about an adrenaline rush. Dan will send me back to Rome 1 AD or CE. And then I am going to pluck the energy out of the very ether itself. The ether? Well, the air. The, the, air, the ether? Ever is the liquid, isn't it? It knocks people out. Well, it's, 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 no, it's, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll extract energy from something. Look, I'm just going to pluck energy out of the air. <laughs> like most things, we're going to pluck from other places. All right. Week in science, Dan. How's your week in science? Pretty good. I'm still on a high. Oh, yes, yes. After episode 100, what the live to, show. What happened to that one? It was stacks of fun. It was, yes, it was. It went really, really well. If you missed it, well, you missed it. And we got people helping out with paying it. Yes. And uh, it didn't cost us too much money. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Like, I only had to sell one of my barrels that I use as clothes. Nice. Nice. They always do that in movies and stuff where someone runs out of money and all they're wearing is a barrel. Yes. I'm sure those barrels cost a fortune. Well, Coopers cost a lot of money to get in to, to fit, make a barrel. And yeah. so I guess they, those barrels are worth a lot. Maybe back in the past they weren't because everyone could just whip up a barrel. But nowadays you're like, oh, a barrel, that's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. You go to a hipster bar. Yeah. I bet those barrels yeah. cost them like eight. 800 bucks yeah, a bottle. Yeah, that's right. That's just to put the little moustache on the front. Yeah. Uh, there was a very nice thing that happened, is that one of our listeners, who goes by the name of Baz the Dog, <laughs> tracked down my personal email address that I never use on this po- podcast. Right. And sent me 50 bucks via PayPal. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, thank you, Baz the to Dog. To help us out. Oh. Just go, hey, love the show. And that's like, that would be about 350 dog dollars. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Baz the dog. That's a lot of yeah. That's, that's a lot a, of dog dollars. That's a lot of bones. <laughs> now we had a great time. Uh, we uh, we should say thank you to the Queensland Minister for Science Education, e- uh, Leanne Enoch, and also to Dr. Joel and Dr. Jen and Spencer Housen as well for coming, being judges, and all the people who were involved in the audience as well who came up and made us look good. Mm-hmm. So and the powerhouse and everyone. If you were involved in some small not way, Stu. no, we're not saying that. No, no, no. Well, the, the chocolate voice mountain god always. We love. He knows he. We love him. We don't need to say it. Uh, we thanked all these people in the last podcast. Yeah. Like, did. what do they want from us? That's what do they want? That's it. And if you don't bring in greats, <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to episode one hundred. It's pretty good. It's it's not bad at all. So what about your week in science? I had a really interesting week in science. I was out in country New South Wales doing science stuff. With I didn't kids. think there was any science in country New South no, Wales. Well, it was when I turned up. That was what they brought me in for. Release the wah to explode science upon the children's Move faces. them sheep aside, will you, son? We got one of them scientists. <laughs> well, there's a lot of science agricultural departments out there. But I was out to teach science. And I got into a conversation with a guy. He was a retired Rotarian. So he'd come in to help with the... Just, just a, just a 
strangle the kids and just be there as an adult body in the room. Does that all... mean he only eats rotors? Yes, that's right. He's, he's, he's in the rotary club, Dan. Like a bre- like a breatharian, but yes. only inhale or a paleo, paleo helicopters. That's, yes. he, only, he has to spin when he eats. Anyway, the rotary club is what, what I'm talking about. And they, they were just there to help. They were volunteers. And... I sort of said, I've been polite. So, oh, they always say, oh, we're just here to help. They always say that. And then, boom, you're in a cult. I think you're thinking Scientologists. I don't think we're I'm thinking Altarians. Altarians? Piscatarians? People eat fish? I think you're mixing up your... Anyway. Actually, a Tarian would just be someone who lives on Terra. So... I, I think we're missing the point. The point of this oh, is... Oh, yeah. No, I've, I'm, I'm well... This is episode 101. I'm all about missing the point. <laughs> Excellent. So the, the, this nice Rotarian, I was chatting to him, and I said, so what do you do for a living before you retired? And he said, oh, I was a chemical engineer. I went, oh, that's interesting. What did you work on? And he said, oh, margarine. And I kind of went, oh. Ooh. No, no, I kind of went... Oh, margarine. And he went, what was that about? And I went, oh, you know, well, you know, it's kind of like fake butter. And he just got this look in his face. I, I'd obviously said the thing you don't say to a chemical engineer with... Um, with, with his the, life's work was yes, one of the most like, incredible food I, substitutes I ever made. I didn't mates. know that you were, a, you were pro-margarine, Dan. It's interesting. Oh, no, I haven't eaten margarine in a long time. But it's still exciting that you well, can well, I make fake butter. I didn't... I didn't well, it's, not, it's not fake butter, Dan. It's not fake butter. So he proceeded to tell me all about it. And I want to very quickly tell you, it was the most exciting half an hour or 20 minutes I've had the whole week to the point where I kind of forgot I was teaching 35 children in a room and uh, and talked to this guy for 20 minutes and my boss had to come in and go, um, Greg, you're actually teaching right now and you probably should be, uh, you know, looking at the primary school age children. I was like, oh, yeah, good point. So this, he was so engrossing. And just the, the potted history of margarine, just very quickly, I didn't know this. It was first invented in 1813 or something very similar, margaric acid anyway, um, based on the, what looked like pearly deposits of, of fatty acids from the Greek word for pearls and oysters, but that doesn't matter. But Napoleon III, he wanted a cheap substitute food for the poor. Napoleon III? Napoleon III. Wow. So heir and nephew to the Napoleon that you think of. So, yep. so he went, look, armies march in their stomach and poor people need something to eat. We can't give them butter because it's expensive and it goes rancid really quickly because we can't transport it. So I will pay a large cash prize to someone who can come up with a butter substitute. And Hippolytes Mege Murier, the French person. Hippolytes Mege Murier. Thank you. Uh, he invented a substance called oleomargarine, which turned out to be margarine. And it's really amazing. It's normally white. And at this point, it was all you made. You color from, it, don't you? You have to color it. Better carotene gets put in. So that's what makes that yellow color. So mm-hmm. normally, normally it's a white color. Because originally it was made out of tallow and lard. It wasn't out of vegetable oils. It only happened in the 1960s. So much later yeah. in, the, in the day, it became vegetable oil based because of polyunsaturated fats and things. But for a long time, it was just a type of butter that was created really artificially that would last a really long time. And he spent a long time, which I'm going to, talking about how they had to change the chemistry of it so that it would be solid at four degrees Celsius. So it comes out of your fridge, mm-hmm. but, but spreadable. But then it turns into a liquid when it goes to about 36 degrees Celsius because it's got to go in your mouth and turn, you've got to get the right mouthfeel. And he went, I just sat there the whole time going, this guy's amazing. <laughs> He's like some kind of wizard. And just before I left got dragged away by my evil boss. He wanted me to do my job, which I get paid for, which is teach kids science. He pointed, he went, oh, and it's the same technology that fi- microfiber cloths use, uh, the, using Van der Waals forces. It's the same technology that we use to change the emulsification of the acids, which means it changes the chemical effects of, of the margarine. It's uh, when it melts. And I went, hold that thought. I'll be right back. <laughs> 
and, and it never got back to him. He left before I could. Ex- uh, uh, so he said, so microfiber cloths and margarine use Van der Waals forces. And I just went, this is the best thing. So as Dan pointed out before, never, ever, ever go, what do you do? Oh, it's so boring. Yet I had the best conversation with, with an expert in, in the margarine Do you field. get his name? I do have his name. Ah. I want to get him on the podcast. I really do. I, that I is to, a good idea. I just don't know if he'll know what a podcast is. Uh, <laughs> we don't talk about this much, but we both do performing. We do. And I just did a big run of not only our live show, mm-hmm. but also some other shows. And then it all stopped. And I was stuffed. Right. Like, just physically tired and drained. Mm Because it had been a busy week, but also emotionally tired and drained. So I was feeling really tender. Mm -hmm. And I I was thinking about the post-show blues. So people who haven't been involved in theatre might not realise that at the end of a show, big run of show and rehearsals and stuff, a lot of people suffer this thing called the post-show blues. And they really do. Like, it's really can hit some people really hard. Mm. And last weeks. Yeah, and I think it gets the whole, you're you're intimately involved with people. Like, you get changed with them and you you have to work with them constantly and you have to be in tune with them. And for weeks on their underpants sometimes. A loss. Oh, it's fucking brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, and then suddenly you don't see them anymore and it's like, kind of like oh your monkey sphere just broke up yeah. your, your tribe just exploded it's like you broke up with 13 people at the same yeah, time yeah yeah that's right it's it, yeah it's, it's a bit weird it can hit some people yeah. pretty so hard. you've got that social bit mm. and you've got the the upheaval to your life because a lot of your life involves having a structure to it and mm. so you've got to change the structure which humans just love we we do love structure we do really do yeah and that's why we work eight hours a day for pittance woohoo I out. love that. Yeah. I love doing that. <laughs> Even when you hate your job, you love the structure. Yeah. You foolish monkeys. But performance actually uses a fair bit of adrenaline. Mm. Because you're doing something that is often, is even when you've been doing it for a while, can be outside of your comfort zone a bit and, like, it gets you excited. Mm. And afterwards, like, oh, gee, I'm, I'm filled with sour adrenaline. And I was thinking <laughs> about that idea, that the idea of the, the, all, the, all the adrenaline in my system has gone sour and that's yes. why I'm, I feel crap. And then I went, wait a second, that's the dumbest thing I've ever thought. I, th- I, would, I didn't think it was a thing, no. Yeah, it's not a thing. It's not a thing, yeah. Like, I've, I've, your body I've, breaks down all the chemicals I've, very quickly. Yeah, well, I picked up on this at some point. The, yes. And the idea that the adrenaline would Flood your system mm. and then go, go sort of rancid. rancid. Yeah. <laughs> you and need just, margarine. Just, yeah, margarine just, and adrenaline. That's what you need. Lasts a lot longer. I'm tired all of a sudden. So uh, adrenaline doesn't go rancid in the body. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Adrenaline's very important mm-hmm. for our survival. It gives you a larger pupil. Right. So you can get more light and get information about tigers that are attacking you. Yes. It increases your heart rate and blood pressure. Mm-hmm. It increases air to your lungs, like the air passages in your okay. lungs get opens bigger, it. opens yep. it all up, right. so that uh, it'll give you as much energy to your muscles as possible. Yes. It maximises your blood glucose levels. Your memory is affected. You'll remember the event strongly, but details will be muddy and incorrect. Okay, yep. Because it's trying to feed as much information into you as possible mm. at the same time as giving you a little hook to go, let's avoid this situation in the future. <laughs> Ignore the lines. Yeah. So it makes you faster, stronger, and feel less pain. Mm. You repress any emotions, and your vision and hearing becomes acute. Right. So, like, that's all these things are very important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you're being hunted by tigers or when mm. you're hunting gazelle. Mm. And all that sort of stuff. You don't want to be out there and be crying, going, oh, I hate tigers. You want to just go, fuck 
tigers, I don't care. I'm just going to run. But you can also see why it's uh, not just from running from tigers, but hunting gazelles as well. You said about how don't be in the situation again, but it might also be be in the situation. Yeah. Again. Oh, there's a gazelle by a waterhole. Yeah. Yay, Adrenaline. Hunt, 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 we, hunt, hunt, we hunt, eat hunt. tonight. Yeah. So it's, it's, it can, I can see how it works both ways. The after effects of an adrenaline surge are also something to be aware of. Mm. Firstly, your hands can shake and you can feel quite weak. Mm-hmm. This is the result of the falling blood sugar that was pumped into the system. So mm. the, your body just goes, here's lots of sugars mm. straight into the system so you could do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And then... So it's a sugar crash. Yes. Mm. Yeah, but a really full-on one. Your blood sugar just drops away because... Mm. It's used up a bunch of it. Yep. It needs to be mindful. Your body, it benefits afterwards from a nice relax. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you've just used your muscles more than you were supposed to use them. Right, yeah. So your body goes, we could probably do with a lie down. Yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to drop your blood pressure like a stone. Right. And we're going to make you horizontal. <laughs> And so people after really stressful situations will be like, that, that's why people faint. Yeah, right. They, oh, they, okay. they do the stressful situation, the, the adrenaline comes through, they do what they need to do, yep. and then afterwards their body goes, let's get horizontal, everyone. Yep. Woo, sex party. <laughs> and you pass out. Right. Um, and, right. and that sex party sound very boring. Yeah. No, well, <laughs> yes, your heart rate has, been, has, has sped up. Mm-hmm. And so lying on the ground horizontal is a really good way for to reestablish your heart rate to mm-hmm. a normal point. Yes. Oh, okay. Yep. So it, it just happens really quickly that way. Yep. And it doesn't have to fight against gravity quite so much. Mm-hmm. It's not so much a fear response as it is a recalibration response. It just okay. it, yep. it, it boosts everything and then needs to pull everything back. Yeah. So because you can't be running on full speed all the time. But you burn out, baby. Oh, yeah. But it's better to burn out than to fade away. Oh, it's lovely to yeah. fade away. <laughs> the, I wish I could do it in almost all aspects of my life. <laughs> Excellent. The muscles will push very hard and the body needs to repair them. Mm-hmm. So you end up needing a rest. So you've got to treat yourself gently as if you were sort of recovering from the flu. Okay. Like these are all... Yeah. So yep. you need to be careful with yourself after an adrenaline After thing. attack by a tiger. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But uh, an unexpected release is that adrenaline actually locks down all of your emotions so that you can concentrate on the task at hand Mm. and it represses Mm. all of your emotional energy. Mm. So all of that emotion that was suppressed during the adrenaline surge, what happens is that actually erupts chemically in your body afterwards. And so you see these people who are like, they go through this event and they're like, oh, you're amazing in this event. Yes, Mm. thanks very much. Might just have a lie down for half a minute. Okay, I'm back. I'm good. Yeah, I survived that. No. Oh, my God. That's why am I sad? That thing you see in lots of TV shows, you know, I base a lot of my life on TV shows, people screaming and yelling when they, like, they fight someone and they go, ah, at the end, like, they beat someone, you know, like, <laughs> and they go, ah, and you go, and not just I'm winning. It's like, my body is just on fire at the moment. I have to, I'm just, blah, 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 and you, you go crazy. So Like in Point Break, where Keanu shoots in the yes, air. Yes, yes. Oh, everything comes back to Point Break. Nicely yeah. done. That's uh, Johnny Utah. But the bursting into tears thing, like mm. it can surprise and embarrass people mm. who are exposed to these situations. Mm. And so if you do get through some sort of adrenaline-charged event, don't feel bad about bursting into tears. Have a good That's cry. your body just dealing with this shit. Yeah, that's right. You're not less of a man or a woman. Oh, I, 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 don't, I don't want to define everyone in gender terms. <laughs> you're, not less as a, you're not less of a human, a penis human or a vagina human. Do you have to be, do you have to be human? Could you be like a dog that has adrenaline? Dogs have adrenaline. They must. So, Such a valuable do, tool. Do insects have adrenaline? Do, 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 grasshoppers, do grasshoppers go, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm so sad. Because they don't need to breathe. It's like they, well, they sorry, they breathe, but they don't have lungs. They they spiracles and they the air comes. I'm, I'm, I don't know what. Yeah. I don't want to hijack your idea. Maybe right? they just seek out wind. That's a, <laughs> maybe. 
risks must be considered along. What's going on? Horrid. Putain! Oh no! Good God! The bridge has collapsed. Greetings, senators and leaders of industry. Doctor Wicadian! I am transmitting this from my hidden volcano lair. You will have just seen a demonstration of my new earthquake device. You did this? Indeed. And I shall target major population centers every hour if I do not receive... $100 billion. I will pay you $100 billion of the earthquake device. What? I'll buy your earthquake device from you. Why? That thing's worth its weight in gold for engineering projects, mining, all sorts of stuff. You want $100 billion? It's yours. I want that tech. I'll pay you $120 billion. I'll pay $130 billion. I'm 40. 145. Hey, I call dibs. I am definitely in over my head. So hands up if you had a grandmother. I had two. I had two too. You had two too? No, actually, I think I had, kind of had four, really. Did you? Well, my parents divorced and remarried. Uh, well, genetics, I suppose. They're talking, oh, actually, no, we might come back to that. All right. We might come back to that. So they're talking about human beings and, and how, like, the grandmother hypothesis, why we have grandparents and why, why do humans live so long? It's actually kind of the point of why do we even have grandparents? Surely once you've had your babies and then especially with women, your body goes, uh, no more babies, menopause, we're done. Surely you should just go menopause, death. Hmm. Because really... And provide sustenance for the new babies. The yes. babies will feed upon you. And yeah, that's right. You should explode, and all the and the babies will just feast on the. Uh... Yes, that that sounds like intelligent design to me, right there. Like that every woman should explode at the point of menopause to feed the next generation hmm. into some sort of exciting sweetbreads, kind of like an octopus. Some sort of octopuses explode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Octopus mothers, their bodies, they have one clutch of eggs. Yes, and all the little octopuses they hatch, and then the mummy octopus, then her body structure just. Stops, it breaks apart. Oh, right. And all the little octopuses then have something to eat, and they eat the mother and then go off to become their own oh, okay. octopuses. Oh, there you go. That's And that's why they're sensible policies for a better Australia. It's the only thing eat stopping your... them from taking over the world. Because <laughs> it's very hard to pass culture on if you're constantly eating the, 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 the generation of people who know stuff. Yeah. So, anyway, look, I guess it's, well, I guess it would be more men driven. Speaking of gender politics, it's a male governed society. The women explode. <laughs> It's like, all women are good for it's exploding. And the men create octopus bridges. (laughs) All right. But, so in human beings, why do we have such long lives compared to other great apes? And great apes can live a long time, but human beings do a long time after menopause. So the idea from... Wouldn't it be be that we... Look up, like we figured out how to build homes and but, medication. But, but and... we still we still live a long time. We are a long-lived ape, basically. All right. We're a large right. animal that lives for a very long time. I yeah. mean, elephants can live a long time too, but we live on the same power as elephants. So we are quite a weirdly long-lived animal All right. compared to other animals. So Professor Kristen Hawkes, back in 1997, came up with the idea of the grandmother hypothesis. That originally, so they looked at the difference between apes and humans, and older women, so grandmothers, actually, would go gather food for their daughters and their grandchildren as well. So Mm -hmm. they would actually start feeding their grandchildren. This was an evolutionary advantage because it meant that the mother could get back to breeding very, very quickly. So a mother mother that had a a mother who was willing to feed her because she couldn't be feeding herself as well,
well, mm. could get back to the serious job of breeding more humans faster than, than another great ape, like a gorilla. They don't do that. They, they only feed themselves or they're young. They don't, and once they're weaned, they don't even feed their young. So they give up. They go, oh, we're weaned. You're out. Go feed yourself now. Mm-hmm. So this actually meant that they could get, so obviously, more humans. So they have more chance of survival, so therefore more humans. But what, not just that. It also meant that grandmothers who lived longer could protect their daughters technically were passing on genes through their daughter that meant they would live longer. So the human race became longer and longer lived. So the women who had mothers who lived longer would probably live longer and therefore, if it was a genetic reason they lived longer, would pass on their live longerness, their longevity, as as people use it, as they call it. women tend to live longer than men. They do, yes. And this is also part of that theory of why do women on average live longer than men? Because a lot of the time grandmothers will be looking after their daughters back in this time, not their sons, because their sons are running off and, and having wild sex parties with other women and not looking after the children as much. So really, it's, yes, it does pass through, but it's, it's women are being selected to live longer than men. That was like 1997. In a more recent study, Hawks and her team started looking at what it's actually meant for male to female ratios because men can produce children pretty much to the moment of death. You know, they could literally be having sex, produce a yeah, child, heart attack at, at the age of 85, die. And they we can, can have a heart attack during. Yes, and still produce a and child. And that actually happens a bit. Yeah, <laughs> supposedly, two places men will die from heart attacks, on the toilet and on their mistress. This is statistically anonymously high on those two things. That's why I don't cheat on my wife. That's on the toilet. No, <laughs> Oh, that's why I don't go to the toilet anymore. Never go to the toilet. So they looked at this. So they said, if, if, well, if women go through menopause and therefore have a definite date of stopping, even though they're getting older and humans are getting older now, what they noticed that because of the grandmothering effect, the ratio of fertile men to fertile women would start to go up to the point where it would be 111 males for every female. 111 breeding pairs. Not talking about monogamy here. Talking about for every male, for every every male that wanted to get a woman, basically there'd be so many other males out there who are from from the age of 13 to 90, (laughs) well, let's say 70, Ah, who can breed. And women have stopped breeding at menopausal age, whatever age that is, which was rising slowly but not very quickly back then then, of course, there's a lot more men. So suddenly men were like, well, there's a lot of us, and there's not many women who can pass on my genes. So how do we answer that problem? What's going to happen? What had happened, and they think monogamy came from this, the concept of human monogamy came, because suddenly a male, in the past, a male would go, well, I've had sex with you, your grandmother's going to look after my kids, I'm out, and go find another female. Mm -hmm. But after time, now humans are living longer, but women went through menopause, suddenly the men were going, wait, I will probably never find a fertile woman again. Its chances are quite and low. if I do, I'll probably have a heart attack either there or on the toilet. <laughs> and I have to punch everyone. Like, you have to punch every other, 110 <sighs> other men to get fast. Out, get out of the way! And, you know, and, and it'll be really, really difficult. So the, the theory is, one of the co-authors, Dr. Peter Kim at the University of Sydney, says that men started to become monogamous, stay with their partner. Because once you've got one, mm-hmm. and she's fertile, mm-hmm. and she's got a grandmother mm-hmm. or a mother who's willing to look after your kids, stay with that one, and impregnate her as often as you can, 
pump out as many kids every nine months. Boom, 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 boom. Because the grandmother look after pump it. Pump them out. And, and just keep pumping them out. And it worked very well. Now, so humans are not – people. I know people on the podcast listening probably go, but humans are not naturally monogamous. Well, yeah, we actually are. The theory does say that we are quite heavily monogamous. That's why most people are monogamous. It's kind of like saying we are omnivorous. We eat everything. Some people choose to be vegetarians. We do kind of tend towards monogamy. Some people choose not to be monogamous. We, we, we don't have to be constrained by our biology is what I'm trying to say here. But I found that really interesting. So thanks to grandmothers, the women in your life will probably live longer because they look after it. Be nice to your grandmothers. And also the fact that you have a loving partner who will stay with you your entire life, uh, women, is probably due to your grandmother or at least your ancestral grandmother from a long time grandmothers, ago. Grandmothers, 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 yes. grandmothers, 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 grandmothers. All I remember was going to bed and then a bright light at my window. Oh no! Who are you? What are you doing with that probe? Just loosening you up, human. Oh no! For sexual experiments? Yep. Oh god, no! Just remain calm, human. Oh god! You're going to make a hybrid baby in me! What? No! Can that happen? Um, we're totally different physiologies. You're going to impregnate me so that your race can continue. Whoa, I, I am not ready to be a dad. Th this is too intense for me. Okay, I'll do it. I'll be an alien mother. Whoa, we, we need to talk. I need my space. What space? All space. Go home, monkey. <laughs> I've been having a look at windmills. As you do. Or wind turbines. Uh -huh. To get energy out of the air. Right. And I stumbled across this thing called Betz's Law. Mm. What it says is that no turbine can capture more than 59.3% of the kinetic energy in wind. Uh. It's called the Betz's coefficient. And usually wind turbines can get up to about 75 or 80% of this coefficient. Yes. So, again, mm. another fraction mm. of that fraction. Yep. And the way it works is this. If you've got a whole bunch of wind coming at your blades mm -hmm. and it pushes the blades and it turns some of the kinetic energy of that wind into the kinetic energy of the blades, yes. then afterwards, if those blades took out 100% of that energy, mm -hmm. after the blades, that air would have no energy in it whatsoever, zero energy, yep. which means it would be paused. Yes. Like it wouldn't be going anywhere. Yeah. But then you've got more air still coming in, and it's going to hit the air that isn't moving anywhere. Ah, okay. So it would build up and become yeah. like, like a traffic dense, jam of air. Yeah, a traffic jam of air. Yeah. Really dense pressure. Yeah. And the, sink. And, and there'd be no energy to get rid of it either. Right. Yeah, okay. It would yeah. sink. Well, dense would... air. Dense things sink. So, yeah. Yeah, it would sink down. It would sink. Yeah, like cold air. Cold air is denser. It would sink down. Hot air is less dense. Right. So, so you'd start having weird cycles of air moving around and mm. uh, it'd be bad. Bad. Yeah. Thank goodness but, physics doesn't work that way. <laughs> but so instead, you can't get that uh, out. I'm guessing also because, like, the molecules, I mean, maybe I'm thinking it's too much, but, like, Brownian motion, the molecules just vibrate all by themselves anyway. So you can never take all energy out of a molecule. Mm. It's going to be doing different things. It's always going to – gravity will be pulling it down. It's going to – yeah, I can see why you couldn't take all energy out of it. You just take some of the energy out of it. It's all based on Betz's law. Mm. But there are bladeless turbines – 
that I've been having a look at. Yeah. There is one called the Siphonian. Mm-hmm. Now, they say that it's not limited to Betz's limit because it doesn't rely on the wind passing through it. It's a sort of a fundamental change in how they approach capturing energy from the air. Yep. It's a disc that's very slightly cupped. So imagine a sunflower that's nodding up and down, but it's cupped forwards. Right. So okay. it's trying to capture the air. So the air is hitting the face of the sunflower. I'm going to try to do this yes. without using my hand too much. Yes. Because otherwise the listeners, you're not going to understand no it all. No idea. Okay. Great. It's like this. Ah. Okay. So imagine a sunflower and it's nodding up and down. When it's pointed up, the wind catches it and pushes it back down. Yeah. When it's pointing down, when it oversteers down, the wind catches it and pushes it back up. So you've got a nodding sunflower. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I get. Okay. Now also imagine that the same effect is happening side to side. Okay. If you did it in one way, it would that means it would bounce from the top right corner down to the bottom left. Yeah. But if you offset that, it would mean that the flower would go up and to the left, and then to the up and to the right, Mm -hmm. and then down and to the right. And then down and to the left. Yeah, okay. So it kind of wobbles around like a yeah. nodding dog in a yeah, car. Right, yeah, okay. Okay. Now, if you put a piston behind the four quadrants, then the air pushes that piston in uh, and then the, the air moves that disc to the next thing. So you've got four pistons all going. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you say. And that's how they capture that energy. So it describes a square shape. And when the wind hits the surface, its energy gets transferred to the piston. And then the air sloshes off sideways and moves the device to the next quadrants. Mm -hmm. Now, I saw a number of sites that went, this doesn't work. This mm. is in the engineering and the, it and the physics terribly, behind it. It seems terribly inefficient, but that's, yeah, I it, guess. that's what I thought too. Yeah. But when I read through all the, all the articles, it didn't seem, all the people who were against it didn't seem very convincing. It seemed like a bunch of people on the internet. Oh, okay, right. So, so has, have they been built? Has it been tried? Uh, yes. Okay. Yep. You can see video of this. I'll okay. post a video on the web. Yep. Uh, on and does it work? Um, it seems to, mm. like the prototype seems to work, mm. but who knows how much energy it's actually picking up. Mm. Could be a hoax. Yep. Don't yep. know. Yet. Yep. Like, oh, so it's very, very new then, obviously. Uh, yeah. Something fun to look look for. It looks as fragile as all get out. Yeah. Like, it's it's such this odd, wobbly thing that looks like it's got a lot of motion, a lot of torque, and, like, it looks like it's suffering from a lot of the stress of the wind. Yeah. But I guess all things need to deal with that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it's it's weird to watch, but I'll be interested to keep an eye on it. But I have the funny feeling that it's going to turn out to be not rubbish. But the thing is, mm. it can be built quite low, and our turbines have to be up really high where the wind is yeah. strong and even. Yes, right. When it's down on the ground, it gets all gusty. Mm. But this thing's happy with gust. Oh, okay, because it, it's bouncing around. Yeah, it's bouncing mm. around. So mm. it's designed to deal with weird, oh, okay. incremental, gusty yeah. stuff, as right. opposed to a big wind turbine, which suffers. Not having seen a picture of this, I'm just thinking in my head. I can't see how it has a output that is steady in any way because if you spin a turbine, what you're doing, of course, is spinning spinning a magnet inside a, a coil of wire, and as long as you spin it, it generates like moving a wire to a magnetic field generates electricity. Mm-hmm. That's what it does. So as long as it's spinning, it's going to generate electricity constantly. If you have a nodding head on four pistons that are kind of weirdly bouncing around, it's not... They do bounce in a clockwise like in a single direction. So oh, it goes so top left, top right, bottom right, oh, bottom left. So, and right. so it, it describes a square boom, rather than a circle. Which is, yeah, I can see. And I guess you can translate, 
you can translate quite easily with a crank linear motion into circular motion. That's not hard to do. That's just a that's just a crankshaft. Yeah. So I guess with the four year four crankshafts pushing in and out, translating into roundabout motion, which will then you could then have the magnet rotating and generate electricity. I suppose that, that could be done. It, it, maybe I don't know if that's the way they do it. In my head, that's how that's how I would do it. Yeah. But maybe there's, maybe I'm missing something very obvious here that that they can generate it better or than something that. that's kind of magic. Yeah. And yeah. Is actually a hoax. I'm not sure yet. Hmm. Now. There's another device, energy from vortexes. Oh, okay. Now, we discussed vortexes when mm. we were talking about chimneys with yes, screws on them. pushing over the chimneys, yes. Uh, the idea being that as the wind rushes past the vortex, the wind on either side pushes around either side of the mm. vortex and then punches into itself on either side. And mm. if it hits a resonance point, then the whole thing shakes itself to bits. Mm, yep. Now... These guys are actually creating these great big things that look like asparagus. Mm. So when the wind goes around them, it can actually transform to find the correct resonance point. And oh, it takes right. all that shaking motion and turns it into... Ele- so it deforms itself. It's actually meant to be shaking back and forth. Yeah. It, it deforms and it shakes back and forth and becomes electricity. Yep. By- so it takes the oh. resonance motion and, re- resonance yes. motion and turns it into electricity that way. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah it's of- being developed by a company who have never made any turbine or electricity stuff before. Yes. Like yeah. one of their devices that they've made is fake noses. <laughs> and Does it generate electricity? And it's a Kickstarter oh, or right. Indiegogo or something. Right, okay, and yeah, I'm like, crowdsourcing. Huh. Yeah. Huh. So there are a lot of stories on the internet going, mm, this isn't going to work. Yeah, well, look, I, look. all I can say is I once gave money to some guys in Birmingham in Britain to develop an ion engine that would fit onto satellites. Uh, so homemade one. So I gave them 20 bucks, 30 bucks, something like that, and so they could go and build it. They, they were just guys in a basement, it, you know, and, and I don't think they, they built a prototype, but they didn't actually get into space or anything. But I think it's good that people out there are doing this kind of stuff. So well done, fake nose people, and I hope that you can build a, an asparagus generator. There are a lot of people who agree with your mindset. Uh, yes. In fact, there's one born every minute. Um, uh, very, there good. Are... very good. Look, the difference between stealing someone's money because you're a huckster and there's a difference between trying something and new being incompetent and, and failing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but that's okay. To be, at least you tried. I think there's a big difference there. I think you should never just say, oh, it's all hoaxes. And it could just be, they didn't know what to do because these people might not know like the asparagus generator. You're right. There's a good chance these people have no idea what they're doing and it won't work. And then someone else comes along and goes, Oh wait, I understand what you're trying to do there. No, 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 it wouldn't have worked that way. But maybe it needed to look like a broccoli or something, or mm-hmm. maybe a cauliflower, or uh, or some sort of banana leaf. I'm getting caught up on the plant here, but yeah. that's why I don't generate this power. But yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. But the one that I re- was really impressed with is one called the Makani. Mm. Have you ever flown a stunt kite? Yes, with two two strings. Two two strings instead of one. Mm-hmm. And if you pull hard on one, then what happens? Uh, it pulls to the left or right. Pulls to the left and it mm. spins in a big circle. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you pull it to the hard and it goes... Mm. It spins in a circle. Yeah. Well, this is a kind of like that. It's a kite <laughs> that you untether and you fly it into the air and it rushes up and flies around in this great big circle, just right. like a single blade on a wind turbine. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what happens is it's got four propellers on it. Mm. So as it pushes itself through the air, all the other propellers are taking all of that sideways motion and turning it into electricity oh, and sending it down the tether. <laughs> now, those propellers sit on the top and they will actually they actually allow it to 
A, take off, mm-hmm. so it, you don't have to have someone there running down the beach trying to get the thing airborne. <laughs> so that'd be a great job in the future. I was saying we, we're running out of jobs in the future. You could be an electricity generator beach runner. Yeah. That'd be a great job. We'd get you outside on the beach. And there's all sorts of really clever software in there that allows it to change the arc that it's describing through the air and to avoid the ground. Mm. And, <laughs> uh, Avoiding the ground's a good thing. And, yeah. and just spin around and get the most amount of energy out of this sideways motion through the air yeah uh, it looks amazing like mm. you have a look at take a look at the video it is the most impressive video where you're just like yep that looks like it is getting a lot of energy from the air <laughs> and they've been picked up by google oh that, that means something that does mean something yeah, that's, that's right. not indiegogo no, that's a very big one yeah but have you seen the ones that like they're big like dirigibles and they're like a big inflate and they've got a big propeller in the center of them yes and, and so they float into the they basically go send them up into the gulf stream like really high up and then you you just you just make it it's naturally buoyant up there because neutral buoyancy and it just stays there and of course it's spinning a massive turbine like a big donut in the center with a it with a propeller can't go in the up into the gulf like it still be, need to be tethered it can I get, well not necessarily well, I, so, well, I, if it's not tethered mm. then it's just going to blow away with the rest of the wind and it's not going to be able to but it can fly itself that's the whole point it generates more power than it uses to hold itself in place there's no way that that works. But solar power? You, you just described the, the biggest pro- plot problem of the Matrix. No, no, no. No, not at all. Not at all. You're, you're talking about... What you're saying there is using one's power source. But you have a solar-powered plane that holds itself in the air. That happens. You can plane yeah. and And then you have a propeller in the center. that it, so it's, it's floating up in the air. Just, it keeps itself in one position. The wind pushes against it, with the, rotates the other, the other turbine. And then they, they use microwaves, I think, to beam it down to the ground. That feels like you... I can't put my finger on it, but it feels like the Matrix problem. It feels like there's more energy involved in keeping it where it is than in... But you're... The, the, like, just make a great big solar... Oh, hang on. No, no, there's something wrong with this. There is definitely something wrong with this, and I can't figure out what it is. But um, I do like the the shape of it, because it looks like Boo from Super Mario Brothers. Oh, okay, there you go. Space Boo. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Winfred... It's good to see that you still haven't given up hope of recovering your lost boy. We've had our police artist put together some images of what he might look like now that a few years have passed. Dan, you finished? Yep. Let's have a look together. (gasps) Totally sick, huh? (laughs) Officer Beeston, I meant what he would look like if he was still alive. Oh. Oh, no. Greg is getting fed into the time machine. The door locks. He has only access to the internet for an hour before (laughs) he lands in his destination, both time and place. Mm -hmm. The time and place that he is sent to was Rome 1. Rome 1. Oh, wow. I'm so excited. So I assume you meant 1 CE, so not 1 before current era, but 1 current era. Is that what he meant? What's, What's CE? Isn't there just AD and BC? Well, yeah, Anno Domini is, is after God. So I'm not particularly into that. So Common Era is what people use. Before Common Era and Common Era. So BC is BCE. But and... the embodiment of God was born on that day. Right, yes. Like, surely that's... 
Right, yes. Okay. Um, okay. Anyway, you, you so you get confused with CE. That sounds like a Windows version. So, well, that's what people use nowadays. One CE and one BCE. I assumed one CE, Rome, and I was not as excited. I realised I was big into the Greeks, not so big into the Romans. Uh, I, I like the Romans, and most of our life is based on Roman stuff, and in fact, the Roman Empire is still around, Catholic Church, and hmm. you know, all sorts of exciting things. But I just was realised I was a bit lost at that period. Now, there's an obvious one. One... A.D., if you want to call it that. Yeah. But I decided not to go there or even acknowledge it in any way, shape, or form. I just went, at that point in time, he may or may not have been born. At, we're talking about, about Jesus Christ here. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of point. Nazareth at that point, yeah. I was and, wondering this. When, at what point did that, was he called Jesus Christ? Yeah. Was Jesus, that like 100 years afterwards? So I would say so, yes. But I don't really know. So. Like if you turned up and you're like, Christ, he's like, who's that? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. So I decided to ignore that. I'm not going to go to Galilee. I'm not going to go to Nazareth. None of that makes it interesting. I'm not going to form a cult. Let them handle that. That seems like fun for them. Mm-hmm. So imagine I've landed in Rome. I went and looked up uh, solar eclipses so I could confound the natives. Ha, ha, and, right. But unfortunately, there was only one in that year, and it was in China, which didn't really help me at that point. Hey, everyone! Yeah. But yeah it's all going to China! In a vidi orientalist. Let's go over there. Uh, follow a tardum. <laughs> Remember, we can just speak the language. We just assume yeah, we can yeah. speak the language. So that's me speaking perfect. It's, it's pretty good. Latin. Latin. Uh, anyway, so none of this. All it's my not old, only a dead language, but a tortured one first. <laughs> we tried to. So I went and thought about who should I steal from this time? Because what I seem to do. I seem to find someone and nick all their stuff. Well, I think that's kind of the, the gist of this segment. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So this time, it wasn't a Roman, but it's going to be Hero of Alexandria, the Greek. He is born in 10 CE, 10 AD, and he was a bit of a dude, and I quite like Hero of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right, sorry, dude. It's nice that he's named after the word hero. That's, it's very, very lucky. And I decided to nick all the stuff 10 years before, nine years before he was even born. So close enough, but you just missed it because I time traveled. Mm-hmm. He created a steam engine, a very famous looking steam engine, a ball with these two kind of wings that come, or two little nozzles that come off the side pointing in different directions. And it's called the Aeopile. And it spun around, spin, 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 spin. Mm-hmm. But not much useful work can be generated from it. So it's not a real steam engine. It's just a boiler and it heats up water and the steam escapes out this ball that spins and it's basically what they call a temple marvel. Look at the thing we've made. It's great. Ah, yep. And he used that technology to make doors that can open and close and he used that technology to make pipes, organs, like and steam can blast out of them and he could play like a simple instrument of pipe organ stuff. <laughs> all of this now nicked by me. I could make all of this. Like I, I could, well, I could very easily tell blacksmith how to make it. Like make a ball that shaped this shape. And they use a lot of lead in Rome. So, mm-hmm. Beating metals was no problem for them. They were using low-carbon steel swords at this point. No problems. They could make this for me. Excellent. Good. So I've already done steam. So I've got a little steam engine. It doesn't make a lot of energy, though. Like, it doesn't mechanical work. So kind of like stuff. So, okay, must preempt the Industrial Revolution and build a steam engine, like a full-on... Oh. That's um, And the Romans would have now steam parried chariots. Now, you shied away from this in the past. In, we've had a past when you're like, oh, I, I could have done a steam engine, but those are very dangerous and would kill us all. Yes. Well, and you've gone, so I'm not going to do that. And this time... So you're getting reckless now. Well, Fast I, and loose with the past. I, I decided to go there, and I looked into it, and I spent 10 minutes staring at it and went, 
can't explain this to someone who has no idea what I'm talking about. I could, I had like pictures in my head. I was trying to work out if I could engrave it in my arm and like tattoo it, but we just said no to tattoos. Nothing like that. So I was in deep trouble. I couldn't build a proper steam engine. I was a little bit stimmied on this one. So no, I, I see. No more steam engines. So, so you've never built a steam engine in the past? Never built a full steam engine in the past. I have. Have you? Yes. Have you really? Yes. With a piston? It was just after we started doing this subject when you said, oh, those steam engines are too hard. And I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to build a steam engine. Really? Like the, and I looked at some YouTube videos and uh, went, whoa, I've got my head around this. steam engine? I'll go and show it for you now. <laughs> Behold my steam engine. Yes, it's very good. It's actually quite a good one. So here's a boiler, a little boiler, a little candle. It's about six inches across. It is. I'm more interested in this part here. He's used a lot of plastic, ladies and gentlemen. Plastic not normally used in the past. But it's quite impressive. How much? Well, yes, you bought the pistons. Uh, well, I bought the kit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you can order, it's the... basically the IKEA steam engine. So if you can order the kit in the past, well, I'll go with this. No, no. But now I know how it works. Uh huh. Okay. And you think you'd be able to tell a blacksmith what to build at this point? Yep. <laughs> well, well, maybe I'll do that next time. I send you back in time. I decided with the time I had, I didn't have time to order from IKEA. I just went. I'm going to back away from that. I just don't know if how I could explain it to someone how to build it. Though at this point they were pumping water. So Hero of Alexandria also created a force pump, which I do know how to build. So the pump, one of those one handle pumps. So and I know how to build that with two valves. I can build that. I can describe that enough and have it built so I can pump water. So at this point in time, all I've got is a, a fun little steam engine that spins around but doesn't actually move a piston, mm-hmm. and I can make a force pump. So that's great. I was like, oh, okay, what am I going to do now? How am I get, how's that going to help me? Well, force pumps are useful for irrigating crops and things. So that's kind of useful. Yeah. So like pumping water up and down, useful but not great. And then I had to start thinking sideways because... I can't use steam. And then I realized something else I could use is wind. Strange enough, you were talking about before, mm-hmm. wind. Windmills. Windmills didn't exist back then. In fact, mills didn't exist back then. At 1 AD, they didn't mill in the Roman Empire. So they didn't crush flour. Not in a mill. Oh, they just get a, a big... They, they get a rock, a rock and, and hammer it. Hammer the yeah. shit out of it. Yeah, or get a slave to do it for them. So by the end of a century, it's about 100 years of my future, it was happening, and it went on for about 300, about 300 years after that. Ooh. So I'm 100 years old. Ah, excellent. Milling. Milling is what we need. Making a windmill is not difficult. I can make a windmill. So a big windmill, I could tell someone how to make it, capturing the energy of the air to spin around mm-hmm. to, and then translate it from, from that circular motion to horizontal, so a vertical circular motion to a horizontal circular motion just takes gears, two gears. I can build that, makes a mill. Now we're cooking with gas. Well, now we're not cooking with gas. Now oh, we're, yeah. Now, now we're, we're cooking with wind. Now we're milling with wind. And I was very excited by that. So that was kind of cool. Then I went, okay, now let's get interesting. So is that what, is that, is that what I'm going to get known for? Oh, yes, Gregus was the uh, man who invented the windmill. That's a bit boring. Then I went, well, hang on, why not build windmills on boats? This seemed interesting to me. Build mm-hmm. them, and I, I didn't know if it had been done before. I honestly had no idea if anyone had made a windmill boat before. Well, the uh, boat would get blown away. But, like a sail. But that's what you're talking about. A sail, I'm talking about you've been putting sails on a boat, the boat can still tack into the wind. Boats aren't just pushed by the wind in opposite direction of the wind. You can tack into the wind. Yeah. Yes. So with my windmill boat, I went, okay, so if you can spin a windmill, which spins a shaft, that could spin a propeller. 
And therefore, you've got a windmill-powered boat, which is a propeller, and just happily, kind of like yours when you went back to the Khmer Empire. Yeah. And, and you created propellers, but they were cranked by people with submarines underwater. I, I've now got a windmill that sits on a boat that cranks a propeller. And when I looked this up and looked up um, windmill boats or mill boats, mm-hmm. they're the very modern ideas, yet they can actually tack closer to the wind. Now, the, one of the ideas says windmill can always point directly at the wind, yep. and it can translate the energy. So it can point in any direction. It can go in any direction it likes. It's not sailing it's just getting energy from the wind yeah with a propeller so i was excited by that that was very very exciting for me and i realized at that point i wanted to start calling myself a ventus punk so this is now ventus punk which is latin for wind so right wind punk roman and I, by the way i'm going to write that book now how the roman empire became like ventus punks and went around the world being cool and anyway, that was my idea of very wind punk then something clicked in my brain. Something very, very different clicked in my brain. In the last couple of minutes of what I pulled the time machine blasted me back at this point. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I remember seeing a weird shot of modern day ships with cylinders on their like 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 funnels, but not funnels. They spin and they somehow generate forward motion. Just oh, by, okay. Just by spinning. And I went, what the heck is that? So I, I, I looked up spinning rotor boats. Yeah. And I discovered them. They're rotor boats. They're called rotor boats. And they use something called the Magnus effect. And the Magnus effect by a guy called Heinrich Magnus in 1852, though, of course, Isaac Newton worked it all out in 1672. Oh, that and, guy. And then went, oh, that's obvious. And never bloody did anything with it. He just went, yeah, that's obvious. Moving on. What the Magnus effect is, is if you have a spinning body, like a ball mm-hmm. or a cylinder, moving through an airstream. Yeah you will get a force perpendicular to the direction of the airstream. So if you have a wind coming at you and you throw a ball and it's spinning with uh, what we call top spin, so it's spinning towards you, like over the top of it and back towards mm-hmm. you, there will be a force pushing up. That's the Magnus effect. So that's because of the pressure difference on one side and the other. Kind of what we're it's talking about. Yes, it is. Kind exactly. of ban- banal, banal, ban- Bernoulli effect. Bernoulli it's got to do with the curve. That's right. But it's not the, it's a, this is the Magnus effect uh, with a you know, force going up in one direction, but in a spinning ball, rota- it has to be spinning or rotating. So that, they do that in baseball all the time, don't they? They do. They're, they're top spin and bottom spin, though. Once again, kind of the Coriolis effect, how much effect it has at those speeds, who knows? I've seen video footage and it's got these crazy curves on it. But it might not be the Magnus effect. Oh, right. Look into that. Like, there's a lot. I didn't have time to go into that. I quickly went, oh. Mm-hmm. But they did say that there are paintball guns that use the Magnus effect to they spin it backwards and it goes out of the barrel. So as it flies towards the enemy and gravity's trying to pull it down, the Magnus effect is slowly pushing it up so it actually can travel through the air further. Mm, so you can clever. use the Magnus effect. And I went, okay. And there are, there are boats that can. You have the wind coming from one side. You spin up your cylinders on the boat. Yep. That generates a spinning circular spinning cylinder, and therefore you get a perpendicular force. So if it's coming from your left-hand side, your port side, you get a forwards thrust. Yeah. But and suddenly if it's coming from behind, you just stop you get, it and you it sails you. Yeah. Uh, or, or yeah, but it's still it's still a spinning cylinder. You wouldn't get much from it in that case. So I was I got really excited at that point. I went, my goodness. I already had come up with the idea of the of the hero engine, the the Ayala pile, a spinning steam, a simple steam vessel that spun around. That's all it did. That's all I said. It couldn't do like mm-hmm. mechanical work, but you could put a mast on it and a lead, maybe not lead, but lead on a boat. But that's okay. So a <laughs> lead sheeting, very thin lead sheeting around something very like like a, a very light balsa woody kind of structure, and or you just make it wood, but it'd be hard to curve. Very lightly, make a nice cylinder. Put it on with a lot, and then you could spin it up with the hero engine, and then you could suddenly have a Magnus effect pushing your boats through the water. The Roman Empire 
could sail the world on Magnus Effect with these rotor boats that like no one had ever seen. They, ah. they don't get knocked down by the world. They, they, they don't, the sails aren't going to push them over. They're not affected by storms. As he said, if something goes wrong, you can just stop the spinning. So you could, dis, you could uh, have a gear that just took off. The, they kept spinning the, the hero engine mm-hmm. to stop spinning the whole thing. And you just weather it out. Or you can spin it the other way. And, and so you can, get, you can change the, the spinning angle. And so you can change the spin. And therefore, you can change the, the which way the thrust is coming on the boat. Mm-hmm. And from what I was looking up, just before the time machine threw me back in time it said that it can get much closer to the wind so like up to including about 20 degrees to the wind which is much closer than a than a sailboat ever could Ooh. and that's really important in war because you can get places that your opponents cannot because you got to outmaneuver them out-maneuver. and now and what's interesting is no one would be able to steal the idea they'd have very big difficulty looking to begin with they'd be looking at it going they wouldn't know it was spinning from mm-hmm. a distance but what the hell this boat's just moving through the water magically it can Tack better than we can, and also even if they could see it spinning, they wouldn't know how we were spinning it underneath. And ah. All the steam shooting outside of our boats might be a bit of a giveaway, but they wouldn't really understand it. We just have pictures of dragons or something like that, or gods breathing fire or something cool like that. So in the end, that's what I came up with. The hero engine and a windmill or the, the Magnus effect would lead the Roman Empire to greater victory. And I even came up with, I would have on my crest, I would have Vidi Venti Vici. I came, I wind, I conquer. Think that just says that you blew. Damn it! Now, Dan, I will be sending you back oh, to. Oh, I hope it's just like a couple of years ago. I've made a lot of mistakes recently. I, if, strangely enough, I was considering sending you from the past of like a week ago. But I went, no, no, that's a bit boring. It's kind of silly. You know, what would Dan change? What I mean? science has changed yeah. in the last week? <laughs> or even like the 1970s. Can you imagine? Like, oh, like, it was hard enough in the 1940s. Well, it'd be, it'd be good to I mean, run to, run, just run to wherever Bill, Job, Bill Jobs, Bill, Bill Jobs is and ask yeah. him to make, here's $1,000 to run your, to, for, to buy your company. Or not oh. buy, but just, uh, I, I want to, 40% share of your company and then Look, just sit back and make all the money. I spend far too much of my life sitting around planning what would happen if I went back to 1995 <laughs> and how my life would be so much more brilliant if oh. I knew everything then that I know now. Oh. Far too much time, far too much time, <laughs> far too much time. Well, now you have only one hour to work at how your life could be better mm-hmm. in 500 BCE, so 500 years before the Common Era, in Tehran, in what is now modern-day Iran. Tehran. <laughs> 500 BCE, Tehran, in what is now modern-day Iran. That sounds good. That sounds good. They came up with maths or something, didn't they? No. Oh, I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> if you think you could survive in 1 CE Rome better than I could... Get in contact with us. Record how you'd survive in Rome for the Pimp My Time, and we might even play it on the podcast. If you go, Greg, you're wrong. That's how I'd survive. Remember, you can't take anything back with you. You had one hour to look it up, so you can't, unless you had lots of prior knowledge. That's okay, too. Get in contact. We'd like to know how you'd survive in 1 CE Rome. Walk of Shame. Walk of Shame. Ah, here we go. Walk of Shame, where we get the audience to tell us where we went wrong to correct us. 
everywhere we can where we went wrong so we can pass on that knowledge to you. It's what makes us a science podcast, not just two guys crapping on. What do you got for me? I Actually, I do have something for you, though I'm not too sure. If it's You talked about the brain being full of fat in one of the past episodes. Yes, and, yes, and I was quite stringently definite about were. how correct I was that, and, it, that brain was a type of, a special type of fat. That's right. The brain was a special type of fat, and I was like, oh, not sure. No, I've decided I'm going to say it definitively. Uh, And Dan, the brain is not made of fat. It's made of neurons. But there's quite a bit of fat in the brain. Oh, excellent. So you're partially correct. So when so from, this is from Fault from the Forums. When Dan is referring to brain fat, I think he means the myelin sheath, the fatty coating on the neurons, which is the mechanism that allows the brain to conduct electricity quickly and babies have very little of because babies are stupid. You know, babies, babies are dumb. Babies are dumb, as we've proven many times. Grey matter makes up 40% of the brain and white matter makes up 60% of the brain. Also, separately, uh, he made a comment about six copies of the amylase genes and not being able to digest eucalyptus leaves. Do you remember that one? Nope. (laughs) The energy koalas find in leaves is from cellulose, polysaccharides, which completely is unaffected by amylase at all. So having more copies of amylase genes doesn't mean you can actually digest eucalyptus leaves. It doesn't make them easier. The mammals, that's what we're talking about with mammals. Uh, He may have said six copies, and I still can't digest prawn shells and mushrooms because it's it's, it's totally different. But I can still digest koalas, right? You can still digest koalas. I can let them eat the eucalyptus leaves, and then I can eat the koalas. And then down the bottom... She wrote, P.S., when is Dan going to finally eat bugs? Will it be during episode 100? And the answer is no. No. Uh, but, but I forgot to mention, I think this is a good place as any, I've eaten bugs. I, the vegetarian, have eaten bugs. Yeah. So last week, I hope I, they were green bugs. They were, they were green bugs? What? Well, we, at least that looks, they, at least they look like leaves. Oh, wait, no, they were, they were crickets. I went to a restaurant in Canberra, the nation's capital, if you happen to be Australian, and they, the restaurant had a side dish of crickets. And I went, yeah, bring the crickets. That'll be fun. And I ate the crickets. What goes on tour stays on tour. Exactly Vegetarian right. Vegetarian-wise. And, and I, well, I took a picture and put it on Instagram. So, you know, I told the whole damn world about it. And they were fine. They were, it was just, it was like a salty curry taste. But that's because it was salt and curry in it. It, it was mm-hmm. just a crunchy food. The only thing I'd say I didn't enjoy, like it was just, it was just a crunchy, crunchy biscuit or crunchy lolly thing. Crunch, crunch, crunch. It was fine. Didn't enjoy one part of it. They had legs. They're only tiny crickets, probably as long as the, your thumb knuckle, quite thin. But they had long, bouncy legs. That's how they jump around. Yep. And I occasionally would go, oh, there's something sticking in the back of my neck, like internally. And I would kind of have a drink of water and I would kind of yank out a, a leg, like a fully, like a full leg. So that happened a couple of times. I was like, ah, oh, if you could just remove those legs, I would have been a happier man. Mm-hmm. And, and then I eat them. So yeah, fine. Eating, it needs to be filleted. Yeah, that's right. Eat crickets. Crickets are fine. I am well on crickets. So we've done it now. We've managed to keep one promise. One of us has eaten bugs. Would I eat bugs again? Yep. No, no problems at all. I don't have a, uh, oh, no, I ate bugs. It's, it's fine. If you hear any mistakes that I make, send it to greg at smartenough.org. And when Dan inevitably makes mistakes, send it to greg at smartenough.org. I've had a bit of a run recently, haven't I? <laughs> Which is, well, normally it's me and over and over again. So I know. That's perfectly fine. See, I, you've gotten really careful and I've gotten all slack. That's what happened. It's an ebb and Cavalier. Flow. Cavalier. Cavalier indeed. <laughs> Do you know who Emily Grassley is? Nah. She does a YouTube science show called Brain Scoop. Sounds dumb. <laughs> it's actually very popular. Oh, good. <laughs> 
This is Emily Grassley. He's an American science communicator and the star of her own YouTube channel called Brain Scoop, found by the Nerdfighter Network and, of course, by Hank Green. She's been promoting science wherever she can. We need more voices in science to step up in defiance for those characters that get erased from our stories. Their accolades and glories granted to counterparts, as though they didn't have the smarts to achieve the impossible, believe in the improbable, and create the unthinkable. It's unthinkable to me that our hindsight is so blinded. Turning the cheek too many times makes me think you're shaking your head. No, no, no. Hey, you look good in that dress today. Pay no mind to the mess that comment made of my self-confidence. It seems pretty obvious the words they think are innocuous are noxious, breeding doubt and insecurity, feeding bouts of fury in me as I hear the same phrases repeated to the women in our classes, our lab mates, and the masses of budding genius minds that yearn to focus on their hypotheses and methods, but instead they're distracted by the words left unretracted. Hey, you look good in that dress today. If you tell her that she's pretty before you tell her that she's smart, don't be startled when she starts to parcel out and pull apart her individuality, trading physics books for glossy magazines. Instead of figuring 50 ways to solve differentials, she's puzzling out 50 ways to potentially please her partner, wondering, is this what is appealing? This feeling of cheapening my intelligence because we're terrified to be marginalized for trying to have it all? All the while face burning, yearning tears not to drip, drop while our stomach flip-flops at being called out for a love of learning? Just between us, from one woman to another. It'll take a while to recover while we wonder, without ignorance, why there are so many instances of being told to be mothers before we're told to be discoverers. And I hope in 20 years, or maybe less, we'll be blessed with plenty of reassurances that our work is recognized for its significance. And the difference is, we'll be standing up for our accomplishments, not alone, but with accomplices within our fields. Our fields. And it won't be such a novelty to be so proudly standing up for our beliefs and our discoveries. We need more voices in science, and not just those that say, hey, you look good in that dress today. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. And Greg at smartenough.org. Follow us on Twitter, SC2KB. SC2KB is for Facebook as well. Uh, get onto iTunes and subscribe and star us and rate us and uh, review us. And definitely subscribe. But subscribe is so important to us. Very, very, very important to us. So subscribe. Check out the show notes on smartenough.org. And also engage yourself in discussion in the comments section there. We talk back. We like to have conversations with you. If you ask us questions, we're going to answer them because that's the kind of nepotist... We are nepotists, we are, yes, that's what we are. Yeah, we just thrive that's, on your interaction. We, we do love it, so please get We're not getting paid. No, no, we, we get something out of this. So, so definitely get in contact, ask questions, we'll answer them all. If you see something interesting about rotorships, then put it on there. We'd like to know. It'd be great. The Brisbane Skeptic Society is hosting the Australian Skeptics National Convention on October the 16th to the 18th at the Gardens Theatre in Brisbane. Ooh. So if that's something that interests you, a whole bunch of people speaking about that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. get along to brisbaneskeptics.org. Also, I've been on two recent Imaginary Friends podcasts, so go and look that up, the Imaginary Friends with Jake Farr Wharton, and I'm going to be on another one as well. He's asked me to record in a couple of weeks, so look out in there, and it's just me crapping on with people <laughs> about stuff. So have a look for that one as well. And as we always like to say... Ventus Punk!
Guys, you're eating an adrenaline. That's what you need. Lasts a lot longer. Um, if you've cut out the bit before, that makes no sense. I'm learning from Spencer Housen, you see. He said, All right. Yeah, no. Clever. Yeah. I'll cut that bit out. <laughs> um, oh, my, my iPad just started updating. Oh, no. Damn it. I said it to do oh, it. Auto update? I just no, I just said it to update and it went, oh, it's fine. And then I went, and it went, oh, I'm going to need a, a, a Wi Fi connector. And I went, no, no, that's cool, but I'm driving in a car. It's fine. And then obviously you have a Wi Fi connector. It's jumped on and gone, oh, and started updating. And now it's it switches the Dan's up. bandwidth. Yes. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> that's a little update, probably. I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Then I don't know. It's, it's a, hey, but, look, it's 3D now. But I just like to point out that but, but I don't have an iPad anymore. Oh, no, that you, yeah. all, my, all my information's on that. Anyway. Uh, you better hope this story lasts a while. Just keep, I'll stretch it out. Just, just, just extend, I'll milk it. Extend this one. I have fed Greg into the time machine. In the time machine, Greg has only an hour to figure out how he can manage to be the best Greg and have the best life possible in the location and destination time. Wait, in the location and... Time? Time? That seems... I don't know what you're trying to say. There's got to be a better word for time than... In the location... Chronal and chronal destination. Destination. In in both the chronological and geological... Temporal. Temporal. Yes. Uh, Greg is temporally put into the box. (laughs) Let's start again. (laughs) 